Okay, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a different kind of organization. I like that, Matt. That was very good. You know, there's organized, and then there's this other kind of organization. Anyway, hey, uh, so glad that you're here. How many of you had an amazing Thanksgiving? Ate way too much. Uh, yeah, and you paid for it. Oh, was, I haven't done that in a long time. Anyway, uh, it's so good to have you. Thanks so much for being here. This is our second week in this series, You, Me, and We. And uh, today we're going to talk about the difference between men and women, and uh, we'll get there in a minute. But I just wanted to celebrate um, just one of our schools, Blue Springs South, and Dan Sunberg, Coach Dan Sunberg, won state on Friday. So give it up for him. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, hey, and, and as we do this today, again, this is a series, it's about marriage, but it's not just about marriage. And so if you're dating, awesome. Glad that you're here. This is going to be important for you. If you're a high school student, if you're not dating anybody, that's okay. If you're engaged, this is good stuff for you. If you're married, awesome. If you're divorced, that's okay. That's good too. If you're remarried, whatever it looks like, the current condition of your relationship status, it is okay because God's going to have several things that he wants to say to us. Maybe encouragement, maybe comfort, maybe conviction, maybe healing. Whatever that looks like, uh, he's going to do some things in us in our time together today. And So I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for braving the elements. I know it's starting to get cold. Uh, uh, good, so good to see you. So glad that you. I was worried this morning. I thought, gosh, there's going to be ice. It's going to be just me and my wife. And who wants to hear that sermon? But anyway, that's the deal. I, I want to start by telling you a story. There's, it's about a couple who they were celebrating their 30th uh, wedding anniversary. They both were 60. He was 60. She was 60. And God came to them and said, Hey, listen, I'm so proud of you. I want to celebrate your 30th anniversary, your your wedding, your marriage, your commitment. And so today, whatever you pray for, I'm going to give you. Whatever it is, whatever you ask for, I want to bless you. And so the wife was like, wow, 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 wow. Looked at her husband. He's like, man, that's amazing. And she goes, you know what? Lord, I've always wanted to go on this Caribbean cruise. God's like, you sure? He's like, yeah. Poof, right there. She gets two tickets, plane tickets, uh, uh, cruise tickets. Uh, The dates are all set in in stone. It's awesome. And then the the guy goes, wow, God really does mean this. And so he's like, she's like, well, what are you going to pray for? Like, I don't know. And so he kind of wanders off into the garage looks around, makes sure his wife's not looking, and says, hey, Lord, are you serious about this prayer? It's like, yeah. He said, well, I've always wanted to marry somebody that's 30 years younger than me. God's like, you sure? He's like, yeah. Poof, the guy was 90 years old. (laughs) I should have said, it's not that good. Scott told me to, I'm just kidding. I, I won't put that on him. Anyway. Hey, and so here's the deal. As we, as we talk today, our culture is, is, is screaming at me. Listen, Hatfield, you're, you're skating out on thin ice, okay? This feels very traditional. feels very narrow-minded. It feels very old school. It feels very much like, you know what, you maybe shouldn't say this. This isn't overly politically correct. We live in a world where retailers right now are beginning to merge our clothing, where we're this androgynous, genderless clothing, where you go places and you're not sure, are these guys' clothes or girls' clothes? The same with toys with little kids anymore. All of this, we continue to kind of try to figure out what is going on. The reality is we live in a world that if you're male and you don't like who you are anymore, you can change your makeup, you can get cosmetic surgery, you can change your plumbing and become female, and vice versa. That's the reality. There's TV shows that, that, that celebrate it, support it, talk about it, raise the banner for it. And here's the reality. We don't need to change our gender. 
We need, to, we need the grace of God. We need the love of the Father. We need the truth of God, the Spirit of God to heal, restore, and redeem us from the inside out. That's the only thing that's going to that's gonna move us, ground us, help us understand who we are, who, who we were created to be, and why we're here. In your notes, uh, our culture is attempting to dilute our differences, redefine our identity, and destroy Imago Dei, the image of God. I'll say that again. Our culture is attempting to dilute our differences, take them away, redefine our identity so that we basically look the same, and destroy Imago Dei, the image of God, the, imp- the imprint that God gave us. So today we're going to dive in, we're going to talk about the difference between men and women in God's design as it relates to biblical marriage. That's where we're going to go. So in your notes, the first, second blank, it says, men and women are different. Duh, right? I mean, that's just the reality. We are very, very different. And it doesn't matter who it is, what couple they are, whether they're on the screen, they stand up front. The reality is men and women are just different. Biologically, we're different. Men and women differ in every cell of their bodies. Women have greater vitality, which means this. In the United States, women are going to live three to four years, maybe five years longer than men. So women, here it is, two words, life insurance. That's important for you, all right? Men typically have a higher metabolism than women, all right? Sorry about that, ladies, which means we burn fat easier, we burn calories, we can lose weight easier. Sorry about that. That's just the reality. Uh, the sex is often different skeletal structure. Women have shorter hands, broader faces, less protruding chin, shorter legs, a longer trunk. The first finger of a woman's hand is usually longer than their third finger. With men, the reverse is true. Go ahead and look at your hands. You want to. I know you go ahead. All right, that's the reality. I mean, you want to. That's, uh, men's teeth typically last longer than women's, all right? Men are, on an average, are six inches taller than women. Women have a, have a larger stomach, larger kidneys, larger liver, larger appendix. Women have smaller lungs than men. Women have three important physiological functions totally absent from men, all right? Menstruation, pregnancy, lactation. And men, amen? Thank you, Lord. All right. Each of these significantly influences behavior and feelings. Don't forget that. All right. That's important. And I'll just add this little editorial. Women have a higher pain threshold than men. Women, amen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the reality. If God put pregnancy on men, the planet would be empty long ago. It's just true, right? It's just true. We, we can't, I mean, I just had a kidney stone, right? I can't imagine an eight-pound child. Anyway, that's just the deal. All right. We'll stop there. Men are typically 50% stronger than women in brute strength. Greater muscle mass, testosterone, denser bones, tendons, ligaments. But I'll say this again. We may be stronger, but we are not tougher than women. All right? Women's hearts beat, they they beat more rapidly. Uh, 80 80 beats per minute. Men, 70 uh, beats, 72 beats per minute. Blood pressure is 10 points lower in a woman than it is a man. Okay? Just some biological stuff going on. The reality is, is, is you notice the difference even when they're babies. I mean, when you go into these nurseries, you see that there are little boys and they got blue hats on and there's little girls and they got, they got pink hats on. And, and, and more than that, you can, if, you, if you study a, a child long enough, if you look at them, even from the very beginning, you can tell the difference between little boys and little girls. That's the reality. Look at little kids. I mean, they, there's dramatic differences in, in little boys and little girls. I have, th- I have two three-year-olds, and the, the, the boys that are three versus girls that are three, totally different. I mean, girls play with baby dolls and Barbies. Boys play with trucks and blocks. They build stuff, and then they knock it down, and they think it's awesome. And we go, well, is that, is that, is that nature or nurture? That is nature and design. That's the reality. Girls have tea parties with stuffed animals. Boys shoot guns and swing swords or anything that looks like a sword at anybody or anything. There is always a battle to fight and a war to win with a boy. It's just a reality. 
Hand them a wiffle ball bat. They're going to hit their friend in the neck. They just will. That's the reality of who boys are. Remember when Avery had, it was turning six and, and we had this big party as a princess party. All these uh, 13 uh, kindergarten girls came over to the house. We had this cool princess party. They did hair. They did nails. They watched Enchanted. They did all kinds of uh, changing their clothes. We had princess outfits and shoes. They must have changed 14 times in a matter of a couple hours. That's just the reality. Totally different than a boy's birthday party, right? They just don't do anything like that. They have video games. They, 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 they play sports. They, they, they hit each other. They wrestle to the ground. They throw food. That's, everything is a wrestling match. It's a royal rumble to a bunch of boys. It's just the reality. When we get together long enough, we're going to grab each other or push each other around. That's just the reality of who we are. Girls come out of the womb talking, okay? They do. And I'm not making fun. It's just a reality. I've, I, I, I can't tell you how, how often I just say, can you, okay, stop talking. Just please stop talking. You're talking way too much. Oh my goodness, you're just talking. Boys just grunt. Ugh. You want something? Ugh. Is that a yes or a no? Ugh. I mean, it's just, and, and you know, as they get older, they, they kind of still do the same thing. That's just the reality. We, you know, you ask your son, you know, how was your day? Uh, did you have homework? Uh, what are you going to do when you get home? Uh, what was that? Uh, yeah, just, uh, I, I think text messaging was made for, for guys. I think it's just simple, quick, to the point, in and out, avoiding real conversation. Word count. Our word count is different. Women, you have 30,000 words a day that you speak. Men, yours is 15,000 words a day that you speak. And so, ladies, I'm not, I'm not getting them off the hook, but when they get home from work, they've spoken all their words. <laughs> Some would say the reason that women have 30,000 twice as many is because they have to repeat themselves to their man and their kids over and over again, right? That's probably the reality with most of us. Men and women hear the same things hear the same words and they hear them differently. I love this illustration. When a, a woman says, I have nothing to wear, they, they have nothing new to wear. When a guy says, I have nothing to wear, they have nothing clean to wear. That's the reality in who we are. That's just, if, if we begin to understand that we think and retrieve information differently, that would be important. Men and women process things differently, all right? I, I want to put this up there so I would make it easy, okay? Here's a box with lots of different colors and boxes. Here's some boxes right here, okay? This is a man. Ladies, all right, I got the counseling and, and figured this out, all right? This is free, okay? This is what a man, this is how a man thinks, all right? This may be his uh, work life. It may be his spiritual life. It may be his marriage, his relationship with his kids, his friendships, his hobbies, whatever. All these little boxes, and they all kind of, there's a bunch of them, all right? And, and, and guys want them to all fit in these different boxes, all right? That's kind of how we think as we re- retrieve and, and process information. Ladies, you have one box, okay? Now, here's the deal. They're all connected together. And so, guys, if you've ever had a conversation with your spouse and you ask her something and she says something in this box, but she's talking about this over here and your mother-in-law and and all these different pieces, it's because they're all connected. Now, here's the reality. Neither of these, there's not one superior mindset when it comes to processing or receiving or, 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 or sharing information. In fact, we're really good together if we can blend these two as we have conversations, as we process stuff, as we make decision. That's important. That right there, right, is an hour's worth of counseling, right? 90 bucks. You're welcome. Anyway, here we go. Men and women retrieve and share information differently. Men will get the basic information. Women will get the details. I mean, so, so for example, if uh, Sarah and I had friends and they were at the hospital, they just had a baby and I went to go to the hospital to see them and see their child and I got home, uh, Sarah would say, hey, 
tell me about the baby. I'm like, is it a boy or a girl? I'm like, I, uh, it's, a, it's a baby. And she's like, well, how long and how big is it? And I'm like, about like maybe, I don't know, like that wide? The head's about, I don't know. Well, did she have hair? Some, yeah, you know. Well, tell me about the baby. Anything else about, I think the baby had a mole, but don't tell him. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, you know. That's just the reality with guys. You know, I can be on the phone with a friend, Sarah, go, hey, how was your conversation with, with Jason? I'm like, oh, it was good, you know. Well, how, how are he and Christy? I did, we didn't talk about that. How long did you talk? 40 minutes. You didn't ask her about her? He and Christy? I mean, we didn't talk about that at all. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's amazing. When, when a woman goes to the hospital, all right, she gets all the facts. She interviews them like Barbara Walters. She knows every detail of the pregnancy, of the delivery, and how they're doing at this moment. That's just the reality. We are different. We are different. We deal with and manage stress differently, too. And I don't have time to talk about that today. But bottom line, our culture tries to blend us together, but the reality is we're, we're different. We are completely different. On purpose, by design, God's plan for our good and for his glory. So here's the million dollar question. How do men from Mars and women from Venus live on the same planet with each other? That's the big question. How, how do we keep from wanting to push each other into a wood chipper on our best day? You know what I mean? Like, or just trying to push a bunch of bacon towards your husband, like trying to drudge up a heart attack. Like, oh, it's good for you, honey. Go ahead, I found this new... Th-. I mean, how, how, do we do, how do we do this together? Because that's the key thing, is how do we do this together? And here's the definition for marriage. We've been talking a little bit about this. Marriage is two imperfect people entering into a committed relationship, diligently pursuing intimacy under the loving rule of God. How do two people that are completely different do this? That's what we're going to talk about today. In your notes, here's your first point. We must first understand Imago Dei. We must first understand Imago Dei in Genesis, all right? Genesis 1, we get a couple key truths, and whatever else comes later, whether it's like down the road in the Bible or down the road in America or down the road in our lives or five years from now or one day when we're gone, whatever information comes, it will not trump what Genesis 1 talks about as it relates to men and women. That's just the reality. Our first value in our church is biblical authority. We must submit and surrender our lives to this book because we trust the God who gave it to us. He is author, creator, sustainer of life. We trust his ways and we trust that they're best. So what is it that God is looking for? What is it that he gave us in this first creation account in Genesis? Here it is, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, here it is, okay, ready? Let us, circle the word us, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea birds of the sky over the livestock and over over all the wild animals over all the creatures moving along the ground so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female underline that he created them so on the sixth day of creation count god made mankind male and female imago dei And he says the word, let us, all right? Let us make man into our image. Here's the translation. It's a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one God. He said, I want to make mankind in our image. That's what he says. And he created them male and female, imago Dei, which is Latin for image of God. Image of God. You, I, we, all of us in this room made in the image of God. 
Here's, here's why this is key. Lots of thoughts on how we got here, right? Lots of ideas, lots of theology, understanding, philosophy out there that this is how we got here. This is how we finally are here today. This wasn't a random chemistry ex- explosion of particles and then bam, here we are. It's not it at all. We're not equal to plants or animals or mountains or, 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 or the ocean. We, we are different. We stand alone. God created us, humans, you, me, in such a way to be a reflection of who God is. We are to be a reflection of our image, which is God. We are image bearers. See, we are to reflect his character, his holiness, his rationality, his conscience, his creativity, and the way that he does relationships. You see, God shared this with mankind alone, okay? So as we're trying to figure out our value and where it comes from, you know, we don't have to look up, we don't have to look out, we don't have to look around. The reality is we look, we look to who God is and who he says that we are. See, the standard of value and worth uh, of a human life is not found in their ability or accomplishments or a vocational title or income or race or IQ. It has nothing to do with that. We get our value. Our value comes from one place. It comes from God, the Imago Dei. Second point is this. Men and women are equal but different. Men and women are equal but different. You see, male and female are are equal, meaning that they each bear God's image completely and equally. Men don't bear like, you know, like some of God's image, like the masculine side of his image, and women don't bear like his feminine side, the, the characteristics of God. No, no, we each all bear God's image equally and completely. See, the reality is, is it, it's not like, well, you know, if I'm a man, then, then I have all, or I have some, it's, or if women, I have some. No, if we get married, we get it all. No, it has nothing to do with that. You are, whether you are married, single, divorced, whatever that is, we each all carry, we all bear the image of God equally and completely. All right? We're different as it relates to our, 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 our gender and sexuality. And he's not talking about biology. It's not like, guys, hey, you get one of these, and women, you get a couple of those. It's, it's more than that. God has a distinct purpose for male and female because it defines not what we're worth, but who we are and why we're here and how God calls us to serve him. Even though we are equal, it doesn't constitute sameness. That's key. Okay? Even though we're equal, it doesn't mean we're the same. Most of us hang, can hang in there with the equality of the sexes, God's image, that we're his bears, we're co-rulers over the earth, and we're here to take care of the, the, the planet, equal but different. That's all good until we get to Genesis 2. God unveils distinctive roles from the beginning, so go ahead and write these down, and then we'll unpack it. Here's the big one. This is going to be hard for some of you. God made the husband to be head and the wife to be helper. Okay? God... God made the husband to be head and the wife to be helper. That, this, this phrase brings up lots of emotions. Let me just kind of unpack some of these things, all right? Let me just say this up top to men. If as you heard that, you kind of went, yeah, that's right. I am. Let me say this, all right? And I'm going to say this as nice as I can. The Bible calls you a jackass, okay? It does. Anybody who's arrogant or stiff-necked, prideful, that's what the Bible calls you. You can look it up. Here's the reality in this. If you think that, you know what, you're something because of this is what God says, you have no earthly idea what this, what this really means. What it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a husband. It's big, right? If, if you're kind of going, you know, I should stand taller. No, no, no. This passage should begin to shrink you down, put you on your knees. It should scare you to death. And here's the thing. Women, let me go ahead and say this. 
if the phrase helper stirs up something in you in the neighborhood of pain or anger or resentment, I understand, okay? I'll bet it's because you were either a witness or a victim, not of biblical headship or leadership, but of unbiblical domination and abuse. I understand. You see, men, just catch this, okay? Women, these verses, if applied in the wrong way, have more potential to devastate you and crush you more than any other passage in all the scriptures. That's reality. I understand. In over 21 years of ministry, I have seen the ugly side of men who've misused, misquoted, and misinterpreted this passage. But these, this passage applied in the right way as Jesus uh, meant for it to be, here's what it does. It elevates women, it nurtures marriages, and it blesses families. That's what it does. And we'll walk through this so that you can understand this. We'll walk through this together. Here's the thing. Before I get there, let me just go and give you this point. Jesus esteemed and elevated women. I don't want to move before we get to this. Jesus esteemed and elevated, uh, elevated women. There, in fact, there's no other person on the planet, no other religious leader, no other person on the planet who has done more for women than Jesus. That's just the reality. In a culture that has, has constantly been pushing women down, Jesus constantly lifted women up. Just read the gospel. Jesus never pushed any woman down. He picked them up. He picked them up in a culture that was sexist, in a government that, 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 that was bigoted. He picked them up from chauvinistic men. He picked them up from their own personal shame, pain, and regret. Jesus loved men and women and treated them with great respect and dignity. The New Testament goes on to support his teachings in this. The value of women permeates the New Testament, which isn't found in the Greco-Roman culture or any culture in that society. See, the rights and laws back then in their day, when Jesus came and put on flesh 2,000 years ago, they were oppressive and cruel. Women were considered inferior to men. Roman law placed a wife under the absolute control of her husband, who had ownership over her and all of her possessions. He could divorce her for any reason. He could divorce her if she walked outside without a veil on her face. A woman had absolute power over his, his, his life and, and over his wife and his children. In Greek culture, women were not even allowed to speak in public. Jewish women were, were also barred from public speaking. The oral written law prohibited women from reading the Torah out loud in public. Okay, Couldn't do this. That was illegal. Craziness. Synagogues were often segregated. Women were often uh, to be seen and not, not heard. Jesus was countercultural. He valued, listened to, spent time with, loved, healed, and, and esteemed women. Here's some examples, all right? John chapter 4. You see women, Jesus actually breaking multiple social, gender, and even race laws here when he spent time with this woman, the Samaritan woman, uh, who, was, who was at this well. Some of Jesus' closest friends were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He spent time with them. He ate in their home. They spent time together. They were close friends. Jesus was a guest in their house. Mary did something in that day that would have been looked at as, as, as social deviant. She sat at Jesus' feet as Jesus taught. But not just Mary would have been looked at as a deviant. So would Jesus because that went against rabbinic law in that day. Jesus was teaching one morning. A woman was caught in the act of adultery. He was in the synagogue, and this woman was thrown at his feet. He spoke to her, he talked with her in the synagogue, he applied grace and truth to her life, he restored her. That would not have happened in that day from any other rabbi. In Matthew 9, Jesus was on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl that was dying. And as he's walking through this crowd, all these people are touching him, and all of a sudden, there's this woman that grabbed him by the robe, and he experienced her faith. 
He felt something, not just her tug, but her faith. He stopped, looked at her, and said, I I need to talk with you. And and he esteemed her. He called her daughter. And because of her faith, he healed her in that moment. Women followed Jesus. They were not groupies. They were followers. At the cross, the crucifixion scene on Good Friday, here's the deal. Most of the disciples took off and ran. They were afraid. You know who was there, mourning, crying, seeing Jesus die on the cross? Women. Women and John. Then what's interesting is, is three days later, that, that, that first Easter Sunday morning, you know who was at the tomb first? Women. You know, Jesus uh, showed himself, appeared to at first, women. And then he told those women to go tell the disciples, okay? That's important to understand. In fact, Paul would go on to say some words that were so far from politically correct in that culture because of Jesus' leadership and his example. Galatians 3, 26-28, he says this, For all of you were children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus' heart is clear as it relates to men and women and his love for women and how he esteemed women. And here's the reality. Biblical headship and male domination are not the same things. And the church has gotten it wrong. There's a lot of men that have gotten it wrong for thousands of years. Now, I'm going to go after this, this, this headship and this helper piece uh, in these two passages, Genesis 2 and, and Ephesians 5. I want you to kind of hear me as we kind of unpack this. Hopefully this will make sense. Genesis 2:18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay, now, I don't know if, if this kind of stings your ears a little bit, especially if you're a woman, you go, helper suitable? Really? Like assistant? Like a JV? And here's what's interesting. To understand the terminology, the English doesn't, doesn't rightly promote what this word is, but here's the word that when, when God said, I'm going to provide a suitable helper, here's the word that he gave him. It's in your notes. It's connectu, uh, Ezra connectu, which, which means this, life saver. Okay? God said, I'm going to provide a suitable helper. I'm going to provide a lifesaver. That word, uh, Ezra Konegdu, means this, power and strength. The term is only used again in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. Okay? So just in case we're clarifying what that word means and what it looks like for men and women both alike, if you're married, guys, God provided you a lifesaver of power and strength. She is a gift, and outside the Holy Spirit, she is the person that will help shape your life so that you become more and more like Christ more than any other person on the planet, and I am grateful. John Piper says this about male leadership or headship. In the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary, not the soul, but the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in God-glorifying, in a God-glorifying direction. What do you base it on? Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5. So God could have created male and female at the same time. Adam and Eve, boom. He could have grabbed some dirt, believed in it. There's there's Adam. Boom, there's Eve. But he didn't do that. He did this on purpose. He had order for a reason. And here's what he did. He wanted us to capture his plan and his understanding. He created Adam first for headship and then Eve for help. God created male and female. They're equal but opposite. Isn't that the truth? And here's the reality. This This is not this weird boss-slave thing. The word here is complementarian, okay? 
Complementarian, meaning uh, man and woman, husband and wife for each other. It doesn't mean that you complement each other. It means that, that they fit perfectly together. Meaning their unique features will complement one another, support each other. In other words, they will fit together perfectly. And what I don't mean is simply sexually. I mean bigger than that. Emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually together. Genesis 2.23 said, this is what Adam said. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And all that means is this. God, thank you for someone finally like me. She's my equal. Someone I can identify with, someone I can connect with, someone I can partner with, and someone I can love. God, I love all that you made. Stars, the mountains, everything. But thank you for her. Thank you for Eve. She gets me. Eve's there to help Adam. Help him with what? Is it to help Adam build his like personal kingdom? Absolutely not. No, no one voted him king. Adam's not king here, but he does lead their partnership in their home in a God-glorifying direction, or at least he's supposed to. Eve's there to help Adam do that. Wives, help us do that. And here's the reality. See, God knew that we as men and husbands would need help. That's the reality. I need help. There's not a man in here that doesn't need help. That's why he provided a helpmate, a lifesaver of power and strength to help us do this together, to co-reign and co-rule over the, over the earth. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 5. Let's look further as what God intends when he brings these two together. And Jesus says, and the two will become one flesh. Here it is. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. All right, I'll read the whole part. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the, of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, here we go, men. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing, by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or without any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, a cod. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot in there. Let me give you a several mega themes, and then we'll wrap up our time. First, first point is this, submit to one another. Paul starts off that way. Not just husbands to wives, but, but each to each other. It doesn't matter your gender. We're called to submit to one another regardless. And in the marriage relationship, we're called to submit to one another. It means This word submit simply means this. It's a Greek word, uh, hupotasso, which just means I'm going to place or rank myself under you. Okay? Paul says to husbands and wives, male and female, place the other person before yourself. Put their needs first. I am going to put my wife's needs before my own. Okay? And vice versa. Key statement in, in, this, in this first part is marriage is not about you. If you are not married and you're thinking about getting married and you think marriage is going to be about you, you are in trouble. It's not about you. Okay? Wives, here it is. This is hard. Submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Paul gives wives three verses about the importance of submission. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Not a popular passage in our culture. Paul then says again, the husband is head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. The next verse is nails on a chalkboard if this is taken out of context. Wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay? Men, don't carry that verse loosely. Don't hold that in a way that you're going to try to swing that over somebody's head. That is not a hammer. Wives, it means that you put the needs of your husband first. His emotional, physical, spiritual, relational needs first before your, own, before your own. It means to respect your husband. Okay? Now, ladies, listen to me. Submit to your husband because they've earned it? No. Submit to your husbands because they deserve it? No. Submit to your husbands because they can be trusted with your submission? No. Submit to your husbands because they'll never take advantage of your submission. No. Submit to your husbands because you're a slave to them. No. No, no, no. Look what it says. He's consistent. Why submit to your husbands as to the Lord? God's saying, I want you to submit and trust your husband, not because they're perfect, not because they're more intelligent or they're more spiritual. No way. Simply because I've asked you to. And this is one of the ways, part of the way, that you worship me. Okay? Fellas, here it goes. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Fellas, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Pay attention to the amount of verses here. Wives, you got three verses. Guys, you got nine verses. Three times the amount of direction. If you hear these verses and you still think that you're the boss, you're a moron. Please hear me, all right? It's so much bigger than this. A healthy, humble husband will begin to see the weight of these words that Paul writes. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take the primary responsibility of Christ-like loving, servant leadership, protection, and provision in their home, okay? So let me just kind of unpack a little bit of this. It, it, it's not sole responsibility, fellas. You're not running this thing, all right? It means that, that when Jesus comes down and knocks on your door, if there's a problem, even if it's with your wife and it happens to be her fault, he's going, hey, listen, in my home, hey, hi, Sarah, how are you? Is Scott home? It's coming to me. And it may not even be my fault, but it is my responsibility. It's primarily my responsibility. Christ-like love, full of grace, full of truth. It's also servant leadership. Jesus demonstrated. He was, he, was, he was God, and he said, you know what? Here's what it looks like to be great. And he, and, he, and he washed people's feet, okay? Fellas, men, husbands, serve your family and serve them well. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I serve our kids? Taking ownership and setting the example. By husbands, you go first, meaning not, not first to eat or first to get whatever you want. It's first to encourage, first to apologize, first to, to forgive, first to pray for and over. To love your wife the way Jesus loves her, which means to nurture her, to spend time with her, to really know her, to connect with her emotionally. To affirm, remind, and shower your wife with love. Love means to provide and protect. Provide and protect. If, you, if I were to define love for you, it's, it's to provide and protect. And so it just here's an example, right? In the middle of the night, say it's, say it's tonight, something happens. Your wife wakes up, hears this noise. She's like, honey, oh my gosh, somebody's in the house. They're going to kill us. Guys, in order to provide and protect, you don't kind of lean over and go, hey, listen, it's your turn. Go get them, sweetie. 
Here's a flashlight, all right? That's not what you do. You get up and you take care of business, whether there's anybody in the house or nobody in the house. This is what we do. And it's not just to protect our wives physically. It's to protect our wives emotionally, socially, relationally. And here's, 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 here's an example, all right? A lot of you, you can say whatever you want about me, and some of you, you like to. But here's the reality. If you talk about my wife, the game is on. It just is. And every husband in the room is going, you got that right. Our job is to provide and protect. And it's not just provide a meal, provide a paycheck. It's to really provide for them and protect them. It's not boss-slave talk. Wrong. Husbands, we are the burden-bearer of our homes and our marriages. So here's the question, ladies. Is it hard to submit to a man that loves you like Jesus loves you and is willing to die to serve you and provide and protect you? The answer should be not that hard. One last thing, guys, before I move forward, you should write this down. Here's your job description as it relates to your role in your marriage. It says, Jesus, what did Jesus do for the church? He died. Your role is to die for your wife. Die for your needs, die for your wants. You have to die to video games. You have to die to your own world. You have to die to, I want to go play on 18 different softball leagues. I have to die to, you know what, but me, me, me. It's die to all of those things for her. Here's the reality, ladies. Start submitting and and pray that your man moves toward this. Fellas, here's the reality. Love your wives in such a way as Jesus calls you to love them. And you know what? Let God take care of the rest. Headship, helper. That's what this means. That's what it looks like. I love how Paul closes this. Ephesians 5, 32 and 33. This is a profound mystery, okay? But I'm not talking about what you think I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Even though marriage in and of itself is a mystery. It just is. Verse 33, however, each of you, talking to men, must love love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. You know, it's interesting, when I I do counseling with, with couples, the issue is love and respect. There's an issue because... The, the husband hasn't loved the wife, and because of that, the wife doesn't respect the husband, and it's this, it's this cul-de-sac that you can't ever get out. You just beat each other as you drive around this circle over and over and over again. I mean, if we will love our wives, okay, not try to demand, respect will come. Ladies, the converse is true. So here's the question today. A lot of heady stuff, a lot of stuff about roles and trying to definitions and things like that. But here's the question. What is it that God's been saying to you? What is your part to own today? Where have you fallen short? Where is it that, you know what, God's shoring up something in me and this is the specific area? What is that for you? Don't worry about your spouse. Don't go home and go, hey, listen, I do this if you do. It has nothing to do with if I or you. It's not contract, it's covenant, okay? We're in this for the long run, together. It's permanent. With God's help, we're gonna press through together and find abundance and life and joy. What is it that God's saying to you? And let me close this way by saying this. We, we made a mistake last week, and I want to I, I I put this in the front for the next three weeks. Our trustees and their spouses are going to be up, up front here after church is over. If you need to talk to somebody, married, single, divorced, whatever that looks like, if you just want prayer, if you want to talk to anybody about anything, we are here, and we are here to help you in any way that we can. Um, we want marriages to chase the 10, which means if you were to rate your marriage 1 to 10, what, what, what is it? It's not enough to say, well, it's a, it's a 6 because it's better than whomever, my, my family, your family, our friends. We want to chase the 10. 
So however we can help you, however we can serve you, we want to do that. Also, in your bulletin, you got some resources, right? you got plenty of things to do. Books, resources, websites, uh, things that are available for you. Um, also, there's, there's, there's homework on uh, the backside of your outline. Please do this together. And guys, I'll say this again. Lead. Lead out. Okay? Let me pray. And then uh, Corey is going to come up and wrap us up. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your design. God, we are so different, and yet I think you kind of laughed when you said the two would become one because it's hard. And so, God, would you help us in this endeavor? Would you help us to serve each other well? God, would you uh, just allow your hand to be on our marriages and our future marriages? God, I pray for my daughters uh, one day that they would find a man that, that loves you the way that Paul instructs him to, that would die for my daughters, would serve them well, that would lead in such a way that that allows my daughters to just love and support and partner with. God, I pray for every marriage in this room, for the healthy ones, for the sick ones, for the ones that are barely hanging on. God, if you have something that you want to do in us, God, that we would be available, that we would be aware, that we would yield to your spirit and, and be people that don't just hear but apply become doers of the word. And so, God, have your way in our marriages and our families uh, for our marriage's sake, for our kids' sake, for legacy's sake. We love you. Thank you so much for this series. It's in your name we pray. Amen.